back to the Early Way In podcast. We go back to Vegas this week for UFC 279, a pay-per-view headlined by a non-title fight between UFC's probably most hyped prospect right now and Hamzat Chemaev. You know, taking on a guy who needs no introduction and Nate Diaz, and he's been pretty vocal this week in the meetings about, you know, not really wanting this fight, um, and he's definitely being counted out here by a whole lot of people. The guy shook up the world once before, so I'm curious to break down the fight with you, see if he stands a chance of doing so again. Our co-main, you know, a bit of another weird fight. We got Tony Ferguson moving up to 170, taking on Lee Jingliang. Not really a high-profile fight like he's been in recently, but man, a total of 13 fights on the books. Um, let's get into it, man. Find some spots where we can make some money. Last Saturday, we were across the pond in UFC Paris. Cyril gone, put away Tai Tuivasa in his backyard. You know, Whitaker put on a clinic in the co-main event. As far as our betting nights go, don't know how I ended up the way I did yet again. And, you know, even for you, very easy night we can make up, man. So quickly go through that before we move on. Yeah, man. So we'll look at your card first. The Abus Magomedov bet had to have been the best bet of the night. Couldn't have cashed any easier. You had two units on him. Quick uh, 0.78 unit profit right there. You also had two and a half units on Nazrat Hackbarast over John McDessie. Another awesome cash right there. 1.33 units. Uh, your straight picks, you ended up profitable. It was the um, the Vittori handicap, which we were both on. Um, we thought it was a good spot. We thought that Vittori was going to at least get one of those rounds and even possibly get a dub. Uh, that ended up hurting both of us, and you ended up going... Breaking even, 0.0 units for the second time in the last month. That's crazy how that happens. Uh, Moving on to my fight card. I only did props. Uh, I just wasn't feeling any of the money lines. And, you know, thankfully I I did go light on this card. The bet that hit was the fight doesn't go the distance in the Quinones-Taha fight. I knew both guys were going to be bringing the heat and you were getting a good plus money price tag. Um, The Vittori one really, really hurt me uh both the handicap and vittori by decision and then the fight doesn't go to decision in the jordan wood that was hung around plus money all week super tempting and uh, they definitely brought the fight that i expected just both their chins kind of held up uh, i did minus 1.12 units on the night back in the hat and uh like you said it's uh, definitely something that both of us can come back from and and get the ball rolling in our main event, we have Hamzat Chamayo taking on Nate Diaz at 170 pounds. It's tough for me to look at this fight any other way than leading a lamb to slaughter, man. You know, Nate Diaz, he's been outspoken over the last year about him wanting to be released by the UFC, but the UFC just isn't quite ready to let him go, at least not until they're able to build more name value for their current biggest cash cow in Kamzat Chemaev. Kamzat's taken the UFC by storm from the training room stories to the antics with Darren Till to actually delivering inside the octagon when it's his time to shine. Um, he is, from the looks of it, the real deal. Yeah. Um you know, in his times out inside the octagon, he's made men look like children with his wrestling ability and his strength. And truthfully, I don't know how this fight is going to go any differently than Kamzat's fight with the Leech. Um, Nate Diaz has shown defensive holes in his wrestling countless times in his career. Uh, Joe Stevenson, Clay Guida, Benson Henderson, and most notably his fight against Rory McDonald, where he was just ragdolled for literally three rounds. I know deep down everybody would like to see Nate, you know, dig one, dig deep, or dig deep one last time and pull out this upset. But I, I truly believe that that Kamzat is the truth, and it would literally take a miracle for Nate to win. As far as betting, um, the books are hanging out some decent lines for Hamzat by submission. I do think that you know it's it's very likely that he's just able to kind of treat him like a like his kid brother. 
throw him around the octagon like he did the leech and just lock up this submission. Nate does have a great jiu-jitsu game. I think that it's probably more likely that over the course of five rounds, Hamzat's able to open up some of those cuts. We see a doctor stoppage or Nate just quit. It's his last fight on his contract. I can't imagine that he's wanting to give just everything that he has for this fight. Um, he's mad with the UFC, and if he doesn't put on a good performance, I don't think that he's going to be too upset with it. Yeah, man. So a plus two sixty prop for a minus thirteen hundred money line. It's almost worth hitting based yeah. off that. You know, when you know he's going to take the fight to the ground at some point. This fight, you know, it's got a ton of hype built around it. But I, like you said, I don't know how competitive this fight is actually going to be, especially early on. You know, talked about Nate last fight on the contract and in in these interviews saying he didn't want the fight, never wanted the fight, and right now still doesn't want the fight and UFC wouldn't allow him to go fight guys like Poirier, Chandler, Luke A and because you're right they're trying to build up their cash cow and, and send Nate Pack and building up their prospect one more time and you know I'd have to pretty much agree with Nate that all, you know that's what they're doing to him sending the lamb to slaughter that all the pressure's on Homsack because there are so many different ways they could have gone with Nate here with trilogies and stuff with Connor you know to made a lot more money I guess for the company before they send him on his way and when I try to break down this fight, it's it's pretty difficult to break down because it's such a mismatch. You you got a guy who could legitimately be a middleweight taking on a guy who fought at lightweight for majority of his career, and now at 38 years old, this guy carries little to no muscle whatsoever. I think he's suplex city all over again like the Roy McDonald fight. And not only that, but he has little to no power behind his boxing. And to see Hamzat just walk through some of Gilbert Burns' punches, I, I just don't think Nate has anything to deter him from closing distance here. So picks 100% Hamzat. When you talk about having to play the fight, honestly, man, the sub, that might have the most value on it because when you look at Nate's durability, it really does make that over and under 1.5 tricky. I don't know how much value minus 400 has on Hamzat inside the distance and stuff anymore. And even plus 600 on Nate, I don't think has very much value. I'm maybe beer money three or four rounds in when he's plus 2,000, you know, and... Just take the round five prop, Exactly, you know, when he's trying to slap Homsat around or something. I don't know, man. And last thing I'll add is, I'm honestly, until I see these guys punch each other in the face, I straight up could see Nate Diaz tapping when this bell rings, giving the middle fingers, jumping the cage and walking out on the UFC. Like, it's just something that I don't put past Nate Diaz. And so... I'll be convinced this fight happens when these doors are locked and these guys are truly fighting. I Maybe another reason out. to take the under one and a half if you see that happening. And that prob- that probably would catch it, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah, man, I, I'm expecting Hamzat to just run right through these like most people are. In our co-main event, we have Lee the Leech, Jing Liang, taking on Tony Ferguson. And I feel like the last hour of this pay-per-view could be a little bit sad for all of us fans. You know, it's 99% sure it's the last time Nate Diaz is going to be seen in the UFC octagon. And the state of Tony Ferguson needs not far off of that, probably. You know, four-fight losing streak. We've seen him just absolutely dog-walked by Gaethje in the feet. And then, you know, back-to-back times just getting completely grinded out by the wrestling. And then, I mean, the knockout he suffered last time is single-handedly one of the nastiest knockouts I've seen. And... You know, why you want to give it to him, you're, you're talking about four elite lightweights, you know, all in like the top five of the division. Tony's definitely, um, you know, his best days are behind him. Now he's searching for answers, moving weight classes. And when people kind of gave him shit for so long about training on his own, now he's out finding gyms and he chose Jackson Wink, you know, some a gym that's sort of on the decline. And I don't think he's getting the best looks there either. But 
you know, Tony Ferguson, when he was his best, the pace was there. He was cutting guys open in the clinch with the elbows, and that pace really broke guys late. But, you know, even when you look at that win streak, there were some sketchy moments in almost every single one of those wins, you know, where his striking defense really lets him down. And, you know, I have to be realistic with his chances here up at welterweight against the Leech. The Leech, you know, I know he's got another fight against Muslim Salakov, but this is almost, to me, like a thank you for taking on Hamza. You know, it doesn't get much easier than a 38-year-old on a four-fight losing streak going up a weight class. It's a pretty generous opponent to him and, and Tony Ferguson. And I think minus 265, honestly, was a, a pretty good line. He's a legit welterweight, strength, size, youth. He's on a four fight, or his last four wins have been by TKO, and yeah, man, I think Leach gets him out of there. Yeah, I get similar vibes from this fight uh, as the main event that we just broke down. You know, this does, this is a seemingly closer matchup, but, you know, just like Nate Diaz, this is Tony's last chance to shock the world. Uh, Taking this fight at a welterweight, questionable move. He's never really been somebody who's been strong at the lightweight division, and now he's going up to this weight class, much bigger, much more physical guys. From a narrative perspective, to just kind of talk more on why the UFC is giving Tony and the Leech this fight, I think this whole card is set up to catapult Kamzat Chemaev to a new level of stardom. And I don't think it's going to start with Kamzat's fight. The whole night they're going to be showing replays of Kamzat picking up the Leech, treating him like his kid brother, doing whatever he wants to him. What better way to legitimize Kamzat's performance against the Leech than to have the Leech murder somebody with an established name like Tony Ferguson right before, man. Tony, 38 years old, coming off that most devastating KO of his career, only four months removed from it. Uh, I see one path and one path only for him to get a win, and that's uh, for the fight to hit the mat. Uh, On the feet, I think the leech is striking too fast, too crisp, and I think he'll easily be getting the better of the exchanges as well as handling the power shots of Tony much better than Tony can handle the power shots of the leech. Um, you know, given the recent beatings that Tony sustained at this age, I do think it's only a matter of time if this fight stays on the feet. Now, if this fight does find its way to the mat, I could possibly see some vintage Tony in action. Uh, the leech is pretty good, has pretty good wrestling, but has never been somebody who's known to maintain control, even when he is successful in his wrestling. That being said, Tony's the scramble machine, incredibly long arms for his size, and that's kind of how he's made his name. Outside of the scramble situations on the mat, I do favor Leach just about anywhere. Um, I wouldn't lose hope that Tony couldn't pull this out, but I do think that this is a setup fight for the Leach. Like you said, a thank you fight for the Leach and a a perfect way to legitimize Kamzat as as the real deal. For my fight of the night, I chose Johnny Walker versus Ian Kutilaba at light heavyweight. Uh, This had to be somebody's fight of the night, man. You know, both these guys are known for entertaining fights, whether it's them bringing the heat or them winding up on somebody else's highlight reel. Uh, I think it was really good matchmaking by the UFC and the fact that both guys skilled young fighters who are on skids against the upper levels of the division, and both are needing to kind of put on a show to get back on good terms with the UFC. Uh, It seems like this is a fight where the under one and a half should be minus 300, if I'm being honest. We've seen Kutalaba's past fights. The outcome of that fight is usually determined in the first round. Either he gets that KO or blows his wad trying. And uh, we see much of the same with Walker. With Walker, it's less of a knock on his cardio um, like it is with, with Kutalaba. With Walker, it's his ability to take punches, man. Uh, at only 30 years old, he sustained some of the most gruesome KOs at losses I've ever seen, both in the UFC and on the regional scene, if you've got, gotten the chance to see some of those. 
Uh, at this point in his career, he's at this weird crossroads where he's trying to become a technical striker too late in his career because he is not able to strike over 15 minutes and take punches or risks for that matter, which we saw in the Tiago Santos fight. Um, now his, he's got an opponent where no matter what, the fight's going to be brought to him, and I think it's just going to be a matter of who lands first. At the end of the day, Johnny Walker is one of the most incredible athletes currently on the UFC roster, and the amount of power and explosion that he has in his shots, he has the ability to knock out anybody if they land clean. Uh, because of that style that Kutelaba brings, I think Johnny Walker will have to pull all the tricks out of his bag early, um, or risk getting taken down, KO, ground and pounded by Kutelaba, who I think holds a significant grappling advantage for as long as his gas tank holds up. Um, because it will be a, a matter of if Johnny Walker can land that explosive shot or Kutilaba lands just one shot over <laughs> the first seven and a half minutes, I do like the under one and a half, and I do like Kutilaba here. Nice. So... It's opening up the main card for a reason, you know. It's uh, there's no way this fight sucks. I I got a ticket on the under one and a half, and it was plus one ten, not minus three hundred. It's just insane that it almost feels too good to be true, you know. And I more or less decided to to parlay the under two and a half just because it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. But I am fully expecting some violence here. They combined for seven decisions and fifty fights. 15 first-round finishes for Walker, 13 first-round finishes for Kute Laba. Very well should have been probably minus 300 here because I think a finish is on the table early. With Kute Laba, significant height and reach disadvantage, so you know what he's going to do. He's going to try to back Walker up against the cage and, and let a big overhand right go. Hope it lands. If not, it's close the distance for the takedowns because I think he's going to wrestle early. And it was probably about a year and a half ago when you called Johnny Walker's finish over Ryan's band to an absolute T with the, the elbows defending the takedown. And I kind of got that gut feeling here that those same type of positions are going to present themselves. And, you know, Kute Laba could stall a little bit when he's worn out in those same positions. And, and Johnny Walker's going to have the opportunity to land those. And when I go back and watch the way Kute Laba fought against Ryan Span, just, I mean, balls to the wall, no fight IQ, just slinging wildly. I could never lay minus 200 on that guy here, but under two and a half, hell yeah, I'll hit that. For my fight of the night, I'm going to take Kevin Holland, taking on Daniel Rodriguez. Both guys usually welterweights, but this one's going to be taking place at a catch weight of 180 pounds. And, you know, a fight that I'm glad they did throw in the pay-per-view. It's going to be a banger, and the card absolutely needed it. With Holland at 170, he's got a 100% finish rate, and he's 2-0 since dropping down to the division. And a guy who's just you know known for his activity, fought five times in 2020 and has fought three times since the last time we, we saw Daniel Rodriguez. I think that will be a big advantage right out the gate for Kevin. I think everybody's going to be in agreement here. Kevin at 170 is where the guy should have been a whole long time ago. You know, he brings great size and length for the division, and we'll have a whole lot easier time defending the takedowns here. And in this fight in particular, if it does hit the mat at all, I think Kevin Holland's live to lock up a submission, but I think it does play out on the feet for majority of this fight where Kevin's just going to be too long, too sharp, and be able to keep D-Rod at that range. It's just, you know, it's hard for D-Rod to hit Kevin when Kevin's got that 82-inch reach or something. And when you look at D-Rod, he's primarily a boxer. The guy doesn't really have a lot of, like, distance-closing tools when I watch him, and I think he's going to get going to get stuck behind and kind of picked apart by Kevin Holland. When you look at Daniel Rodriguez, the guy is 6-1 and one in the UFC, but has been out for, like I said, more than a year now. It's kind of ironic that his debut win was Kevin Holland's most recent win, but, you know, that's that's easily his best win. You know, you look at Gabe Green and Chandler Parsons, who were on short notice. You look at, what, Dwight Grant and 
uh, Mike Perry who were cut and what Kevin Lee that's not impressive a 55er who's now cut so generous matchups from a man and I got Kevin Holland here minus 200 is probably a pretty appropriate line yeah and and like you said if this was at 170 I think that Kevin Holland minus 260 would be appropriate I, I do think that he's the far better technical striker in this in this matchup and with the length and everything I do tend to favor him it's the catch weight that I don't love I think that D-Rod might have a better traditional wrestling and with the size he could wind up on top more often than not but with the uh the submission threat and the ability for kevin holland to remain dangerous even off of his back which we've seen before i do think that kevin holland is going to be a problem anywhere this fight goes and i do favor him i think that this is a really good matchup for just violence in general i think both guys are going to be willing to bring it so it's a great pick for fight of the night for sure for my fighter to watch I picked Beast Boy Chris Barnett, man. You know, he is one of the most entertaining fighters on this card. And um, at 36 years old, hasn't had the best run in the UFC. This might be the last time that we get to see yeah, him inside the octagon. Fight on the contract, right, fourth fight on the contract. Last time we get to see him inside the octagon. So I do think that for somebody to to get a spinning wheel kick knockout, front flip inside the octagon, and be five foot nine, 265 pounds at heavyweight, uh, you have to give him a little shout out right. here, man. Uh, He is taking on Jake Collier, who's going to be a a tough fight for him. Collier, although uh, truly he's a a middleweight at heart, he is a skillful heavyweight in this division. He's shown that he can throw quite a bit of volume and keep that up over three rounds. And I think that that will be a problem for Chris Barnett. Um, Barnett, he... For his size, does pretty well with what he what he's given, yeah. you know. And I do think that he'll be able to not get finished for the first two rounds. I do think as it goes further on, he just doesn't have the body style to be able to go 15 minutes. Right. If Jake Collier can kind of keep that pressure on him and, and definitely bring it on in that third round, um, I could see a finish happen. But um, you know, this is not a fight that I would suggest anybody laying four or you know four to one odds on Jake Collier. Um, but at the same time, I don't really find many ways that Chris Barnett is going to win this one. If anything, he's going to make it a fun fight for the fans, which is why he is my fighter to watch. Nice. Well, I did lay three to one on Jake Collier here in a parlay with my fighter to watch and Hakeem Daldu. I thought I'd highlight Mina Keem here for one. Uh, I think this is another fight with Juliana Rosa that's going to be good, and I think it's one that actually could could break that decision streak, and we we see Hakeem get back on the books with another finish here. Um, and we didn't really talk about it, but Juliana Rosa, the fight under two and a half is plus money. I think that alone is something that's worth noting as. You know, Julian Rosa tends to never go to the decision. But, man, you know, back to my fighter and Hakeem. The dude's hands are extremely fast, great counter striker. He's got really, really good Muay Thai and really does a good job of beating up the lead legs. And I think the guy's wrestling and takedown defense, the get-up game is vastly improved. And while the one knock on him, it, it was the volume being a bit low, it's you got Zubaira in front of you. You know, you got um, Mazar Ivalev, guys who are going to force those takedowns on you. And, you, you know, you are more tentative I think you also had to throw in Mike Trezano, who's another decision machine, and that's not Erosa at all. Rosa's going to be the one coming forward. He's going to present the, you know, the opportunities for Akeem to throw, and as much faster, smart, more technical striker, I think you combine that with you know the striking deficiencies of Julian Erosa, a guy who's been knocked out six times. 
negative striking differential. I think that's just a bad combination when you're fighting somebody as talented on the feet as Akeem. So I think Akeem, you put him on the level as the as the Sting Choi, as the Julio Arce, as the Devontae Smith, you know, talented strikers. And I think he's going to go out there and put Julian Arosa away. All right, so struggle to pick an underdog this week. I am going to go with somebody who I think could knock out anybody with a well-placed shot, and that is Johnny Walker here. Um, we're, we're talking about two big boys here, both of which um, aren't, aren't that defensively sound. I do think that Ion Kutelaba uh, will open himself up, whether it's uh, not really disguising his takedown entries or um, just trying to land a huge shot of his own and not really setting up that strike. I think Johnny Walker, if he can just bite down on his mouthpiece and try and land a flying knee or um, capitalize on on little mistakes that Kutilaba makes in his grappling, I do think that Johnny Walker has the ability to knock him out. I think that he is going to make this a a good fight no matter what. I don't see this fight going to the judges, and I, I do think that Anybody can get knocked out by Johnny Walker in that first five minutes. It's just who touches whose chin first. I'm with you, man. You you combine the size, athleticism, explosiveness of Walker, the gas tank of Uan Kutalaba, if he, even if he has success early, the gas tank of him down the stretch. Johnny Walker's a live dog. you got to think about all the strikes that he throws up the middle against like a wrestler coming forward, Misha Serkinov, the knee up the middle. Mm-hmm. Dude, Johnny Walker's live. I like that. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Johan Lioness. I know a guy that you really like and, and probably going to back here as an underdog. So going to the underdog, going to the first fight here of the night for this. And he is coming off his very first professional loss last time out against Gabe Green where the cardio failed him. And it's what I, it's not uncommon. You see that all the time with these guys who have all these first-round finishes. And, you know, you get beat for the first time when you can't get the guy out of there and he's able to withstand, the, you know, the damage and come back and – that's what Gabe Green is, dude. He's durable as shit, and he comes forward with relentless pressure, um, so much more urgency than Weeks. And to me, this is just this is an absolute 50-50 fight. Um, at worst, the value is absolutely on the dog here. The underdog in Lioness is also the one that, to me, has the finishing upside and the clearest advantage anywhere on this fight. He's the better striker, bigger power in his hand, size and reach to aid him. Um, he does a really nice job of um, you know, spamming the leg kicks on the outside, which he and Gary pretty much kept weeks at bay with the entire fight. And then you see him go out there and mix up and actually land a couple takedowns on Gabe Green. So this guy has won two decisions before. I'm not counting out him being a knockout or bust fighter. I think the style of Gabe Green is what you know hurt that gas tank. So, man, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be having .75 units on a, on a Johan Linus bet here. Trust my gut. I think he's a live dog. For my prop of the night, I will be taking the fight doesn't go to decision between Lee the Leech Jingliang and Tony Ferguson. Uh, I think Ferguson is is trying to come back way too early from an awful KO. He's four months removed from getting flatlined at 38 years old. Yeah. Um, I think going up a weight class, he's going to have difficulty handling the power of the Leech. And um, on that same token... If the fight does get messy, the leech tries to go in for some finishing sequences. Tony Ferguson has all the capabilities to pull something out of his ass, get into a scramble, lock up a Darce choke. Um, So I do think that there's finishing upside on Tony Ferguson as well. Um, That being said, Bet Online right now at the time of this podcast has fight doesn't go to decision at minus 125. 
I think that that line's pretty pretty off, man. And I do think that this is kind of a setup fight for the leech. I think that it's very likely that Ferguson gets finished, and uh, I think it's a solid line. I think that's a killer line as well. Uh, prop for me, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Almeida and Turkley under 1.5 at plus 105. Getting some plus money on that here. Um, almost feels too good to be true with Turkley coming here on short notice, taking on Jalton Almeida, who's just you know look like an unstoppable force lately and he's probably the best guy we saw off the contender series last year and I'm I feel confident when I say seven and a half minutes I think he's going to get Anton Turkulay out of here expecting sort of like a, a Hamzad approach just a, an all-out smash here the dude's a physical specimen on all the vitamins you see him at 205 you see him fighting up at heavyweight this one at 220 and I you know Danilo Marquez is a black belt on the mat, a very big, like six foot five, two hundred five pounder that he just ragdolled. Then he goes up to heavyweight, and Parker Porter's a bit short in stature, I guess, for some heavyweights, but mm-hmm. he's definitely a two hundred seventy pounder on fight night, and was just was just getting thrown around like it was nothing. And so, I know Anton specializes in a grappling himself, and I think that could be his downfall because that takes away where he really has any success in a lot of his fights, and. I think he's just going to get dominated in that approach. And if it's on the feet, I got a favor Almeida all here as well. Coming in here on short notice, I don't really think he's he's going to put up much of a fight. He's outskilled. He's outmuscled. I got even in you know half of the second round as well, but I think this is going to be a, a quick takedown, probably get put in a position where he just gets ground and pounded out for a finish and cash that plus money prop ticket. For my best bet of the card, I'm taking the under one and a half in the Walker Kutilaba fight. We've talked about it a little bit already, um, so I'll, I'll be quick, but I just think that this is a styles make fights type of matchup. Um, they're go- both going to be bringing the heat, and I think we're kind of getting a buy low spot. Walker, he had the, the five rounder with Tiago Santos that I kind of think took a lot of the um, hype surrounding him right. away. And then uh, as well with uh, Ian Kutelaba, he's just had a couple of fights with Jacoby and Devin Clark that have recently gone to decision. That's not like either of these fighters. And I think that we're in for a quick finish, which has been the story of both of their careers up until this point. Um, So getting minus 145 on the under one and a half seems like a very good play. Yeah, I think there's a ton of value there as well. For my best bet, I'm going to go Irene Aldana, minus 162. (laughs) It's a bit sketch when your women's MMA is your best bet of the night but I do have some closing line value on it so makes it a little bit better here and you know I personally just think that she is I think she's levels above Macy Chase on I think we're talking about a borderline title challenger versus a girl whose main weapon is her size and that's really about it you know as far as the fastest of facets of MMA go I think it really heavily favors Aldana biggest advantage you know is going to be in the boxing and the close striking range I think Aldana is just going to tear this girl up her footwork her striking is just a whole lot more faster, a whole lot more crisp. You know, she actually stays behind the jab. She'll come in with nice, clean left hooks. Um, and she can also match the size of Macy. She's also a very big bantamweight herself. She's got the better gas tank. And, you know, I guess Macy is the one who relies a bit more on, like, the wrestling slash cage control. I just I don't think she'll have a ton of success with it here against Aldana. Aldana did miss weight last time out at 135 pounds, but... You know, nothing new to Macy, who's missed weight at 135 and 145. So to, to make Macy have to cut down to 135, I don't think she is at her best. And I think Yarene down down the stretch is really going to start to take over. She's also a lone women's bantamweight that can put girls away. This girl's finished three of her last four wins. And 
for best bet of women's MMA, I actually might not have to sweat the decision here. Like I said, that weight cut is going to be tough on Macy. I think she's going to get touched up. She kind of quit against Rocky Pennington a little bit, you know, as well. Um, I think Irene Aldana is live for a TKO in rounds two or three. And best bet, Irene Aldana Saturday. For the quick pick section of the podcast, we start off the night in the welterweight division where we see Darian Weeks taking on Johan Lioness. And uh, I think we're, we're going to start off with a double dog pick. Uh, yeah. I've got Lioness here. I got Lioness as well. Uh, moving down to the women's division, we take Elise Reed and Melissa Martinez. Ah, the coin flip women's fight. Melissa Martinez is not a wrestler. Give me Elise Reed. Nah, you don't you don't drop a fight to Sam Page Hughes and then <laughs> get a pick from me. I'm going Melissa Martinez here. <laughs> Moving on to the bantamweight division, we have Chad Chad and Helliger versus Haley Alatang. Battle of the names. I'll be taking Haley Alatang here. I'm taking Haley Alatang as well. Haven't really looked into this fight heavily for the podcast, but I I like that number on Alatang, man, and I, I think I might do some more looking at it this week. Norma Dumont taking on Daniela Wolf. Norma should win this fight. We're talking about a girl with one MMA fight, and Daniela Wolf, who's 39 years old, but she's a good boxer and she's she's got some size. Norma needs to wrestle, and I can't trust her to do it, but she will be the pick. Just pass. I'm still scarred from betting four units on Norma Dumont and her dropping a decision to Macy Chasson, but I I will say that I think Dumont has all the tools to win this one. She should she should get it done. Uh, moving on to the heavyweight division, Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett. I, you know, I'd love to see Chris Barnett give us another flip and some dances, but I do think that Jake Collier's got him covered here. Yeah, Jake Collier's got him covered as well. Uh, that's going to be my pick. Moving to 185, Jamie Pickett on, taking on Dennis Tullulian, and another person I told you that I I want to look at some more in because I think I'm I think I'm liking Jamie Pickett here. Yeah, I'm going to take Jamie Pickett as well. I'm not enthusiastic at all about it. Jamie Pickett is never really dominant for right. me to want to pick him, but I, I will pick him in this one. Uh, moving on, we got a catch weight at 220, Jelton Almeida versus Anton Turkoj. And I'm going to go with Almeida here. I think he gets it to the mat, gets it done early, just like he did Porter last time out. Yep, Jelton Almeida under one and a half. Prelim fight here, prelim main event. We got Hakeem Dowdu taking on Julian Arosa. Styles make fights, you know, and I think Hakeem has the, the counterpart in front of him to get that TKO and get him back on track, mean Hakeem for the win. It's a dangerous fight for both guys, but I, I'm also going to lean with the with Dawadu. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the light heavyweight division, we got Johnny Walker, Kutilaba. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll find out who wins this in the first five yeah. minutes, and I, I think that Kutilaba has the upside as far as if this plays out over 100 times. I'm going to split it with you. I'm going to take Johnny Walker. Uh, that last fight for Kute Lamba, I don't know, man. He he scarred me. He's, I just There's no way that I could ever lay that type of price tag on him watching that fight over again. I think Johnny Walker, them elbows. Moving on, Irene Aldana taking on Macy Chasson. You already know here, best bet of the night, Irene Aldana. Yeah, I'm with you. I, th- I think Irene should uh, should definitely get this one done. Moving on to another catchweight bout at 180, Kevin Holland versus Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, I'm going Kevin Holland here. Uh, if this was at 170, he'd be my lock of the card. Yeah, Kevin Holland for me as well. Then to the co-main event, we are at welterweight, 170 pounds. Lee the Leach taking on Tony Ferguson, and you know I think Lee the Leach gets him out of there. Yeah, I 
I don't think that Tony's got another one in the tank. I'm going to go Lee, uh, the Leech as well. And then moving on to the main event, Hamzat Jemaya versus Nate Diaz. Uh, I think Hamzat eats on Saturday. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to be sure as well. I, Hamzat probably just runs through this guy if the fight actually happens. So, yeah, Hamzat Jemaya going to be the pick us here. That concludes the podcast, man. 13 fights. See the weigh-ins on Friday. Fight Saturday night. Some real good main event and co-main event, but I think we are going to see um, some legends be on their way out on Saturday. I appreciate you guys watching, and we'll see you next week. Peace.